0: Hey, this is Annie and Samantha, and welcome to Stuff We Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Annie, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you remember your first job, and do you remember your pay for that first job?
0: Well, I had a lot of uh, odd jobs that were like not official jobs. Like I watched people's cats. And I got 60 bucks for that. Oh, wow. I, their cats were intense. But oh, it was also okay. like a two-week period. It was a, oh, it was a whole okay, thing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and then I like I would rake lawns and like do stuff like that. I get like 40 bucks for that. It's pretty good. Um, I worked at a dentist office as maintenance. I think I got like 40 bucks for that. It's like a one-time thing. Like oh, I guess okay. I want saying, say, I did it multiple times, but it was like okay, not as a But they salary. were never taxed? Right. Okay. My first like... Job, job. Uh I guess was uh I worked in retail. I was like a seasonal hire in high school. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. In in retail. And uh I did I mean I did get paid much, but I think I got paid more than uh the regular hourly rate because it was seasonal. And I think it was fifteen dollars an hour. The job wow. was miserable though. It was miserable. Oh. But yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> what was your first job job, salary or you know, full time job? And full do you remember how much you got paid? Time.
0: My first full time job. Mm, I did a lot of seasonal work now that I'm thinking through it. I think. And I did a lot of internships where I was able to get paid. Right. But I guess my first salaried position was this one. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, like I said, I did a bunch and of And You were a like, producer, right? I was a producer and I got. Paid like $11 an hour. So you were hourly still? I was hourly. I think when I finally went to like the yearly, I think it was $32,000 okay. a year.
1: It's all of and, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my first high school or job job as a kid, I think I told y'all I was like 13. I shouldn't have been yeah. working, but I was like, I got to work. Uh, I worked at a Dairy Queen. And I mm-hmm. got the minimum wage at that point in time. And that was before the 725. Mm-hmm. So I got 650. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think so. So that was my first job. And I, I worked, I've worked ever since, um, different jobs. Like it got increasingly got higher. I've already, t- already told the story about the Piggly Wiggly job, which I just did for like a season. Mm -hmm. and when i was leaving they tried to give me an increase they boosted that they desperately wanted me to stay and i don't know why and now that i think on it i think the manager had a crush on me who was an adult
0: and maybe that's why he
1: wanted me to stay because it didn't make sense why they wanted me to stay so badly that they Mm -hmm. went ahead and bumped my last check up like a Mm -hmm. couple of dollars and i was like what thanks (laughs) but no again this could be an assumption because i was like but it didn't it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. My first real job job, meaning I graduated college, I got insurance with it and all of that was DFAX or the Department of Family and Children's Services here in uh, Georgia and I was paid 27,000
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was I had like a 5% increase from everybody else's pay. So that wasn't the bottom pay because I did a practicum with DFACS first because they gave you like $6,000 for the practicum. So that's the only one we could find that had pay, quote unquote, because I Mm actually had a different internship. And then I found out about this little scholarship incentive and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then I also had to work a year For defects as a way of like promising, like it didn't take away from money, but just you have to work a year. Apparently, Mm -hmm. a lot of people left the country to not do that, I was told. (laughs) Really? Or at least the state, so that they could avoid having to go and work at a defects. Wow. It's bad, y'all. It's bad. Wow. But that was my first job. And that was my first experience of like getting salaried money. Of course, I've gotten. I've been taxed throughout because I worked at daycare centers, bookstores, whatever, whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was my first official, official job. I did have like a full-time summertime job as Mm -hmm. a daycare worker. I was a preschool teacher at 17 that got $12 an hour, I think. Mm -hmm. But definitely no benefits. Um, But, and the reason I'm talking about this is I wanted to talk a little bit about wages? Well, not so much wages, I guess. But for this Monday Mini, we wanted to talk about organizing in order to get paid fair wages. Yes, we're talking about a little bit of unions and labor movements today a little bit. And this is very small, minute things because there's been episodes before. I believe Kristen and Caroline have done some. Oh, Emily and Bridget may have as well. Yeah, they did one on the the labor movement. Yeah. Yeah. So there's other past episodes that you can check up on, um, but we wanted to talk about today and the pandemic as well, because there's some changes that have happened in the last two years and the numbers have gotten Pretty uh, hopeful, I will say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just recently, the Associated Press, as in like the end of 2021, uh released an article headlined, Young Workers Give Unions New Hope. And uh, talked about the steady incline of the popularity of unions. And in fact, the age group with the highest uh, of, of union memberships in the U.S. is ages 25 to 34. I'm wow. not in those ranges, but I, you know, support. Uh, but yeah, those are the <laughs> highest ages. As in fact, uh, some of the top five unions that have gone on strike or big corporations were started by people in those age range. One union uh, was started by a 19 year old who worked at a Starbucks because uh, they were influenced by two other uh, unions uh, movements that were happening. And yes, if you're up to date on any of the union news, you've seen Starbucks individually are starting to unionize. You'll mm-hmm. also see the anti-union rhetoric that has happened there, uh, which is interesting as well as the anti-union rhetoric and within Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, I didn't know it was so, I kind of did, I kind of didn't, but it was so almost like soap Mm opera-ish in these things. Like it's really dramatic and almost dangerous. You've seen, um, I think we've all seen the different conspiracy theory movies where they go after unions. Uh, Of course, we've also seen really anti-union movies, which go after quote-unquote teamsters, I believe is what they say. Mm-hmm. But all of that to say, there's a little switch happening, and the reason unions are becoming more popular are for reasons going beyond just wages and fair wages, but also sick leave and overall security and job and mental health needs, like asking for them to cover these things because it's not... Prioritized here in the US. And yes, when we're talking about unions overall, and these numbers are US centric because it's a kind of a big thing for us. Like I said, it's not been popular again until recently. For many years, the popularity waned due to, again, the association of unions with communism. Uh. Dum dum dum, uh, the dirtiest of dirty associations, as we know, but has come full circle to highlighting the benefits of collective bargaining, and I think there's a lot to be said to that. We'll come back to it. Um, and it isn't just the youngins getting together, Annie. It's not just <laughs> it's just y'all youngins. You're welcome. But uh, women and non-binary folks who are actually leading the movement as well, many professions that are dominated by women, like uh, being teacher or nurses and essential workers, are at the forefront of unionizing. So we know a lot of these are dominated by women in the field. According to one Bloomberg law study, women have been the key point of at least 45 strikes between August and November of 2021. Wow. Yeah. And
0: there are several reasons for the increase of women in non-binary folks in unions. One that we've talked about, uh, not surprisingly, the pandemic uh, has brought a lot of awareness for many of these workers around these issues. After months and months of saying thank you and clapping, not much was done to help or even make conditions better for essential workers. One survey showed that at least 18% of nurses and healthcare workers resigned due to the stress uh, of all of this and having very little support. And that one out of four teachers had planned to quit by the end of the 2021-2022 school year. And another factor to this increase in unionizing is due to inadequate health care. Uh, we know that the pandemic has killed millions of people, and yet many of these essential workers don't have access to proper health care. Uh, in the U.S., insurance and health care are linked to full-time employment, which allows for big corporations to skirt around actually giving adequate health care coverage, um, and typically not at all. And I know that's something you and I have discussed experiencing.
1: Yeah, we have talked about the fact that there are contract employees, so therefore they don't have to be covered. Uh, Part-time employees that typically don't have to be covered. The whole Affordable Health Care Act, which happened under the Obama administration, got pretty decimated uh, over the last administration, the Trump administration, and really, really hurt those who could have benefited and, could, and and there's still coverage now. I think Biden administration come through and try to beef it up a bit, I guess. But it's been a big issue since then because, yeah, they're working in these uh, climates. And not only do they not have health care, they also don't have time off and will not get paid. So they don't get sick leave either. So all of these things were big factors of, especially when people were diagnosed with COVID uh, and couldn't work. They're like, what are we? And then weren't getting paid. So those are two big factors in that as well. That's a whole different conversation outside of just unionization, but that was a part of the reason that people are starting to sign on because they're seeing, oh God, this is really f***ed up. What can we do? so. And when it comes to collective mindsets, women and folks are more often the ones to bring that together. If we look at a family setting, the matriarch has the responsibility to do what is best for them as a family. And we've seen that play out in work settings as well. They're doing what they have to, not necessarily for the collective of the employees. I'm not talking about that, but their families and doing the hard things like unionizing uh, is one of those things, keeping their family safe at all costs, including the fact that if they are on sick leave and they don't have pay coverage for that, they can't provide for their family, which is already a whole big conversation. If they're no longer employed at a place, they may not have coverage. And because that coverage, healthcare coverage, is typically linked to the jobs, it also affects the kids. Yeah, y'all, kids aren't covered unless you have uh, insurance through your job. So Mm -hmm. for those out of state, out of uh, U.S. area, they're probably like, what the hell is wrong with (laughs) y'all? You yeah. are correct. There's something <laughs> yeah. wrong here. And they are doing the work, and it's working. The overall approval rating for unions has hit its all-time high since 1965. So for almost 60 years, uh, and that's in the U.S., with at least 65% of the U.S. approving of unionizing. And within those numbers, women were at 67 to 70% in support for unions. So women are at the top, and we're like, yeah, this is not working. Give us money. <laughs> Yes.
0: And yes, it does work. According to the National Women's Law Center, women who are in unions are likely to make around $205 more per week, or 24% more, than those who are not a part of unions. And that may also be due to the level of wage transparency, which we also talked about often on this show. In the NWLC report, it states, Union pay transparency helps to interrupt a culture of secrecy around pay that often makes it extremely difficult for individual workers to prevent or discover disparities. In one powerful example, Wisconsin teachers began to see a gender wage gap where there had been none before after the state passed Act 10, a bill weakening teachers' unions' ability to set pay. Before Act 10 passed in 2011, teacher salaries were set on a publicly available schedule— After Act 10 passed, unions could only negotiate base salaries and further negotiations were left to individuals. Without collective union negotiation power and wage transparency, women began to fall behind.
1: Right. I thought that was such a powerful statement in itself. And yeah, we talk a lot about why it's so important that we talk about our salaries. And Annie and I are trying to figure out our base salary and going to other people who are similar situations like us because we're like, what? Because the fact of the matter is... One of the ways that corporations have been able to do this is not only trying to tell you not to discuss your salaries with others, keeping it private as if it's a privacy law, which is not true. That is not a thing. That is not a thing. It's nope. illegal. They can't uh, put that in place. But also the fact that the job titles are skewed and yeah. all over the place. And that's a big point of contention is like, wait. So if you don't know what your job title is, you can't compare it to others. So it's kind of one of those conversations of like, we need complete transparency and we all need to be on an equal footing. Hmm.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and though we're seeing uh, the women come together today, historically women have been a part of unions and labor movements for a while, including women like the Lowell Mill women, who came together and created the first union for working women in the 1830s, Mother Jones, who did an amazing job in getting a lot of the mill and children in the workers' unions and labor movements, Grace Lee Boggs, whom uh, is one of my heroes and a giant face in the labor movement as well, as well as Dolores Huerta. Which we actually have a a pot. Uh, I think uh, Caroline and Kristen did one on that, right? Well, on her. Yep.
0: Look for the classic
1: upcoming soon. Oh, and today we are seeing more labor movement activists like Ai-jen Poo and with the first woman president of the American Federation Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations, the AFL-CIO. When you see those uh, letters together, you're going to know what I'm talking about, which is the largest U.S. Union Federation. Liz Shuler, who, again, has made history as the first woman president. Uh, We hope to see bigger change and more advocates that will help the whole, and that's kind of that big conversation, and which is why we don't like anything that looks like socialism, <laughs> which is the <laughs> conversation. And yes, and of course, you know, representatives like uh, Bernie Sanders really brought out some of the big focal points of why this is important and what unionization is. I did have a friend Annie who their dissertation was on unionization within chicken farms. And Ooh. it was really, really interesting. And he he had a lot of deep perspectives of it. Um, And I love talking to him because I was like, why? Why would they be against being in unions? I don't understand. And I, even talking to my sister, who is a teacher, uh, she's a part of a union. And we talked about some of the things that's important and why... Uh, some of the past laws were really, really damaging and why unions work. Um, for, the, for Georgia, I don't know if you remember this, our governor at the time really opposed the Affordable Health Care Act because universal health care is such a big deal here and mm-hmm. such a controversy here that he decided to not only go against it and reject the federal funds for it and then blaming the administration for that, they also decided to do a single insurance company for the entire state. So we had, at one point, three different options. He took that all away, did it one under one uh, specific company, so they had a monopoly. The teachers rebelled, and actually the union got involved and had that turned over with more options. So it was because of the teachers' union that the entire state, because I was a government worker at the time, was mm-hmm. able to have a little more choice. And that was before it was popular. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Um, And that's something that comes up. Georgia is a right-to-work state. Mm -hmm. So in the acting community, it's such a weird conversation, but it's it's kind of implied you should never join. Here in Georgia, you shouldn't join SAG, which is Screen Actors Guild, the union, until you're big enough to join it. Because otherwise, they're not going to hire you. Right. Which is weird.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, the right to work was one of the big uh, fights against unions uh, that the government placed. Uh, There's a lot of things that happened under the Supreme Court that actually also weakened unionization. And one of the big things that came into play was about the union fees and everybody being very upset having to pay union fees. Because at one point it was over the top. It seemed like people were being extorted to be a part of a union. And that was a whole other big play. I think that had to do with the mafia. Like, I don't even remember the entire story of it all, but it was pretty corrupt. But of course, there's also some intrigue in that because, like, we had people intersecting, and we see that today where they are not pretending to be union people. They're not, they're actually plants. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels it's like intense. a big conspiracy, uh, conspiracy movie. Mm-hmm. But it's true, it's happened, and that's kind of broke down. And one article was talking to specific people in unions and how they went from uh, being paid $10, $15 an hour to $40 an hour and having, like, the gladly paying $60 a month to have those raised uh, wages. And again, this really benefits women so much because it actually puts them on an equal playing field. And it also helps uh, women of color, not as much as white women, and apparently not as much as Asian women. I was very surprised by this. I feel like I am way down here in the Asian (laughs) women-like level. Mm. Um, I'm doing something wrong, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But uh but like the, the fact of the matter is it overall gives a better pay for women and it puts them on an equal playing field. Not necessarily equitable, but at least equal. Yeah, yeah. So we're
0: glad these women are coming together and have been doing this work for so long. And it's not just here in the US, we did we have recently talked about in other other countries as well. So as always, listeners, if you think there is there's someone we should talk about in these segments or if there's a movement you'd like to highlight, anything about unionization, please let us know. You can email us at stephaniamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. You're the best, Christina. Yes, you are. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I never told you is a production of iHeart Radio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, Radio, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to favorite shows.